What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. And, you know, we have a great show. A great show. As with every week, the guests change a little bit. They shift. And if you've watched past shows, you've seen stuntmen. You've seen Emmy Award-winning TV stars. You've seen a little bit of everything. Young entrepreneurs. And just to motivate you to get off your couch. Today, I am honored to have a gentleman who has uh, really, really, I'm sure, surpassed his own expectations. I mean, you don't, you don't try to plan this kind of a life out the way Mark, uh, really, his, his evolution, if you will. We're going to go over it all over the next hour. I mean, starting in, in I mean, just so uh, tough coming up and then to really fall in love with BMX bikes and to make it his life. And it is a great story, fits right along with the model of the drop-in, which means if you live passionately and you really follow your dreams, you never know what doors are going to open, what path you're going to take. And this guy embodies that totally. So stick around for this whole show and you are going to be blown away. I was. And I've known Mark probably, I don't know, 20 years we've been doing things together. I've known him that long. And when he sent over his bio, it was like, I had no idea. You know, you meet people, either you're doing a demo on a stage or you're in a park somewhere, or you just stop by the shop and you know them from that uh, environment. But you don't know where they came from. And so stick around for this hour. It's going to be Awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited. And as, as you know, if you watch past shows, you see me. I'm like a little kid. I'm sort of like that Chris Farley dude on Saturday Night Live. I, I bring that up a lot because that's the way I feel a lot. When the guests come in and I get to talk to them, you guys have seen it. The goosebumps. The hair stands up on the ends of my arms. I get excited and I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. That's why I do this show. So you get the same feeling. You get fired up on living. You get off your couch and you make life happen. This is not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot. And if you don't make the most of it, you're the person responsible for that. Nobody else. Nobody else. You are responsible for that. But before I get into that, you know, I cannot do this show without my sponsors. And if you are into baseball, if you are into the history of baseball, if you are one of those total traditionalists who love the game, I have a great opportunity for you. You know, Play at the Plate is just an amazing opportunity. And what they offer is something that's so unique. It, it is incredible. And it, it's an awesome experience. So you, you will be able to get involved with a historic uh, setting. And it is amazing. So check out Play at the Plate. Would you like to play some baseball? You still dream of playing on a major league field, experiencing the magic of places like Field of Dreams? For 15 years, Play at the Plate has been making dreams come true. Play at the Plate offers you the chance to play ball. Join us for a lifetime experience. Go to playattheplate.org or call Scott Green at 631-255-4475. That's 631-255-4475. Make sure to check them out because I, I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, I heard they got the Field of Dreams thing going on and to be able to be where that movie was filmed, legendary movie, and to, you know, go visit it, play ball there. It's got to be incredible. I want to see them come up with like a Sandlot thing. I'd go visit the Sandlot. I mean, come on, who wouldn't? If you don't, I mean, I don't know what planet you're living on because that movie is epic. 
But anyway, so right now in southeastern Michigan, actually all over the country, it is summertime. And it is getting busy for me every weekend. There's a different event going on. We have a brand new skateboard park here in the Detroit area, right next to the bridge heading over to Canada. It is called Riverside Park, and that place looks epic. In Michigan right now, it is a very special time if you are an extreme sports enthusiast. BMX, skateboard, I mean, even rollerblade scooters, whatever you whatever you ride, it's a special time right now. Between the Tony Hawk Foundation, the Ralph Wilson Foundation, they are giving out quarter-million-dollar matching grants to only southeastern Michigan and western New York. I am the president of a nonprofit in Wyandotte, Michigan, which is about 20 minutes south of Detroit, and we got one of those grants. We've been holding these wacky fundraisers. We just had this thing called the Whack Tie Formal, the WTF event, and it was just so much fun. Everybody came in dressed crazy. We had photo booths. It was an awesome fundraiser. We're doing some very interesting things to raise those matching funds to build a skateboard park, basically between Detroit and Ohio is the area where I am uh, looking to build. So. It is a special time. It is like our play at the plate in southeastern Michigan. We are getting pros coming through. We are getting uh, facilities that are mind-blowing. It is incredible to be an extreme sports enthusiast right now. When I was coming up, we would hear about a ramp, and it could be 30 50, 100 miles away, and you would drive and your buddy would get out of the car, look over a fence, see a ramp, think, oh, do we go up to the door? Do we knock? Do we just go start skating? How do we? How can we skate this thing? Because they were so few and far between. And it was an instant brotherhood when you saw somebody with a pair of Vans on, with a, a, a skateboard t-shirt on, with a punk rock hat on. Instant brotherhood because you had to search it out. You couldn't go to the mall. You couldn't go to Hot Tropics and buy this punk rock uniform or anything like that. You had to mail order your shoes, wait for 12 weeks for them to get there. If you wanted a minor threat shirt or a black flag shirt, you had to search it out, send them your $14, probably cash in an envelope. It probably said no checks, send cash. And then you'd get the shirt. It'd be hanging off you because you can only find one. They didn't make it again. The craziest time back coming up through the 80s and 90s. And my guest today lived through that time in the BMX world. He knows exactly exactly what I'm talking about. He's sitting across the table from me right now, just nodding his head and laughing because he understands what I'm talking about. So without any more, any more of me running my mouth, I want to introduce you to Mark Filipowicz. Flip, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, brother. Of course. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it, it, it is fun to be able to do this kind of a show, invite friends that maybe I haven't seen in a while, that I've been friends with for decades, and we get to sit down and catch up, talk about the bumps and bruises and the different kind of uh, journey we've each been on, and inspire the viewer to go, yeah, I dig it, I resonate with that, I understand that. It has been an amazing time for me, and when your name came up, I was like, heck yeah, dude, flip in studio? <laughs> So where do I sign, you know? So we've been friends for a while, man. We've done some demos in some crazy spots. I remember like state theater stuff uh, and different things. Uh, how you been doing? Ah, uh, great. Uh, working hard, riding bikes, family life. Yeah. Uh, life couldn't be any better. Right on. Albies has really been knocking it out of the park, especially with that new location. It looks beautiful. It's been the past, uh, we moved three, three years ago now. 
and uh, it was a game changer. It changed everything for us. Now, Albie's Bike Shop has been the standard for BMX in the Midwest and across this country for a very long time. How long has Albie's been around, Mark? Uh, technically, it was established in 1968. No way. Um, but it's been mainly BMX bikes and skateboard stuff since 88. Yeah, I remember stopping in there all the time when I couldn't find things that I was looking for at any other location. I could swing by Albies when you're over on Mound. Yep, been to Mound for 27 years. Yeah, and stop in there. So definitely, while we're talking here, check out Albies.com and you'll know what we're talking about. Um, you know, when I uh, when I invited you to come on this show and you sent over your bio, I was blown away, dude. I was really blown away. Um, it, it's an amazing path that you came up. I mean, being born in North Carolina, and I personally love North Carolina. That's where my grandma's from, Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, and then just to, to make the move to Michigan, and you've been all over the map. So how, how, how tell talk about coming up a little bit, man. Uh, well, I can't claim too much of the North Carolina thing. Um, my dad was in the military, um, in the Marine Corps, stationed in North Carolina. I was born there. I honestly don't remember any of it. We moved to Michigan uh, before I had any sort of memories. But, I mean, after that, I, you you bounced around. I mean, uh, what was it, like 12 schools, 12 different schools or My something? parents split when I was pretty young. Um, my, I, you know, I lived with my mom. She didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we ended up having to uh, stay with a lot of family a lot of the time for a couple of years, and that caused us to have to move around a lot. Uh, I think in elementary schools, I, I went to pro I probably went to a dozen different elementary schools growing up, which it was in, it, at the time it was tough because you know I had to learn to make friends and start all over every time I went somewhere. However, I think it built a lot of character, and I think it made it easy for me to to get to know people, and I have more friends. Uh, so how was uh, you know your high school years? Because for me, high school was a huge step. Uh, I started riding a skateboard at eleven. And and then, uh, you know, it was junior high and I really wasn't totally like all immersed into the skateboard world. And when I did, I lost like a ton of friends because skateboarding wasn't cool. So it was me and three other guys in our high school that rode skateboards and one dude had a mohawk. Another guy, you know, I was a little shave head with jeans and stuff. We didn't quite fit in. So how was high school for you, brother? Uh, actually, I think it was a little different for me. It was it was similar in the fact that no one really rode BMX when I was in high school and I might have had one or two friends. However, I got along with everybody. So there was all these different cliques and I could just kind of meld into any of them. And, you know, I had my one or two really good friends that I hung out with and rode with. And and uh, those are the people I'd hang out with the most. But if there was a party, I could go hang out with this group of people or I could go hang out with that group of people. I was I, I maybe it's from moving around so much. I just got good at making friends. Right on. And I jump forward a little bit because I want to talk about the athleticism it takes in. And I keep saying the extreme sports world because I think uh, it, it's. It crosses from skateboarding to BMX to uh, even rollerblades. They're I've all seen, similar lifestyles. Yeah, it's all similar. Yeah, that kill it. And you came up uh, wrestling, and that that sport. I was a hockey player. I was in the ice rink most of my life. Wrestling is no joke when it comes to <laughs> training and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how'd you get into wrestling? Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how it started. I was only like six years old, and my mom signed me up. I think it was, you know, like I said, she she didn't have a lot of money to get me involved in too much and I think it was just a cheap thing that was going through like the local high school or something and uh, we traveled quite a bit for years and it was it was super competitive and 
I learned a lot of discipline. I was in incredible shape for being a seven, eight, nine year old. You know, I won a couple state championships at a younger age. Uh, I wrestled till I was probably 14, and then I. That's when BMX really pulled me in, and I didn't have time to wrestle anymore. <laughs> well, wrestling is no joke. I remember thinking about it at some point in my life, and I went to like one practice, and I'm like. I can't be going from that to hockey practice every night. I just won't make it, man. You know, I, I was a little guy. I'm only five foot four now, and you know, growing up, I was always the tiny one. And you know, kids would pick on me at school and put them in some sort of flip hold and take them to the ground, and I wouldn't have to do anything other than just hold them there to where they couldn't do anything to me and gain tons of respect. <laughs> right on. I think it's cool for our viewers because you know anybody who follows you, they they know you from the BMX world. Right, they know absolutely. you from Albies, and I thought it was really cool when when you sent that over that you wrestled because uh, we get so separated. And oftentimes, again, through the 80s and 90s, uh, BMX skateboarding were very uh, fringe sports. Uh, not even they weren't even called sports. It yeah, was a fringe it, activity. Right. <laughs> and and to know that you played an organized sport and took it to a very high mm -hmm. level until your your passion shifted a little bit and then BMX just took over your life. As as I mean, as a kid, you know, I'd come home with medals every weekend for wrestling and I was really proud of that. It was a I was really proud of that. I'd show my medals off and everything. It was, it was a very cool experience and um, I could see one of my kids getting into it now. He's kind of like me, a little high strung and can't sit still, so might be a good sport for him. Right on, and the work. I think uh, organized sports, I know for me, I had some great hockey coaches, and we. I wanted to win. I was a goalie, so I was part of a team, but not really part of a team. I was the crazy one who got puck shot at his head <laughs> for fun. But it taught me a lot about uh, self-discipline, about uh, showing up, about taking mm -hmm. it seriously, about taking my body seriously, about trying to be a better competitor, a better athlete, and I'm sure wrestling I mean, it's like practice every single day or something. It's crazy. You know, as a six, seven, eight-year-old kid, I was going to practice a couple times a week, working out. I'd wake up in the morning and go running you know, <laughs> around my neighborhood. It, you know, it wasn't even light out yet, and there's this little kid running around the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty grueling, but it wasn't bad. It was just what I was into at the time. Yeah, and that speaks a lot because when you're passionate about something and you're working that hard, no matter what it is in life, it doesn't seem like work because no, you no, love no, it not at all. and you want to be uh, there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, at, okay, you're wrestling, you're crushing it. And at 11, uh, you get a job to buy a, a real BMX bike. That was the quote you said. A real, you a kept real, putting quotations real. around there, a real BMX bike. So what drove you to do that, man? Well, I mean, as soon as I could ride a bike, I was always trying to pop off curbs and stuff like that. And uh, But we, were, we didn't have a lot of money, so I never had a real good bike. Um, and around 11, I decided I was going to get find a job, you know, and my mom said, hey, you, you know, you come up with half the money, I'll pay for the other half. And uh, down the street from where we lived in Troy, there was a, a guy that sold pumpkins around around Halloween. And I went down there and just asked if I could anything I could do to help out. And I, I washed pumpkins for a month straight for like three dollars a day, a couple hours a day until I had enough money to take home and say, hey, Ma, I came up with my end of the bargain. Where's your end? 
and that's how I got my first BMX bike. See, and that's huge. That's huge because so many, I see a lot of the younger kids coming up and parents as well who are trying to provide the most they possibly can. And I'm sure your mom did too, but at the same time, you're like, you know what? I want this. I'm going to work for it. I'm going to work for it. I really want this. And I think that says a lot about you coming up at, at 11 years old. 11, I mean, yeah. making that decision at 11 to say, I'm going to work because I want this thing. And those are the kinds of lessons I, I learned at a young age that if you work for it and you get it, you have a little more pride in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to just my, throw my, it on the ground. My parents were really, I, I have great parents, both of them. And they've always been, uh, I think they've always taught me the, the right uh way to look at things and yeah my dad's an incredibly hard worker he just remodeled the kitchen at my house for three months straight he's in his 60s and he was there every day just work 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 and and fired it out and my mom's a saint so i think they instilled a lot in me that i'm proud of and and definitely it sounds like resourcefulness you know yeah oh yeah gotta do what you gotta do yeah moving around and, and having to make new friends and do different things you know you learn how to get by what mm -hmm. you have to do to get by and if you don't know what you're doing uh, you know what? I am going to learn. How then to you get fake by. it till you make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you get a bike at 11. At 11. You know, I think I got a BMX bike around that time because I was actually, before I stepped on a skateboard, I don't talk about this that much, but I was racing BMX down in Woodhaven. Ah. I have a couple of trophies. I had a GT Mach 1 that I, I painted myself. I had a paper route. I had uni wheel covers, a uni seat. I was taking it a little bit seriously. And then somebody stole that bike. Ah. And that put the kibosh on my uh, BMX racing. But I do have a trophy somewhere where I did all right with BMX uh, when I was very young. Well, let's get you on a bike. <laughs> I, I love it. It just scares me. I grew up with uh, the BMX guys always had the best ramps growing up. And skateboarding wasn't that cool. Uh, so I was friends with all the BMX guys. Skateboarding was always cool. In my neighborhood, there wasn't very many skateboarders, we'll say. But there was a lot of BMXers. Uh, gentlemen like uh, Joe Hughes, Joe who Hughes, you know, yeah. yep. uh, still one of my best friends in the world. He lives yeah. around the block from me. And and guys like him and John Rodriguez and some of these other downriver guys, they had good ramps. And so I hung out with the BMX guys. So I've always had a huge respect for the BMX world. A lot of skateboarders don't. I don't understand that. I don't understand that either. It's it's such similar lifestyles as, other than the fact that one of you is on a bike, another one's on a skateboard. Everything else is mirror image. I don't. I never got that. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. People are crazy. People make their own, form their own opinions. People are crazy. <laughs> they are. And, and luckily, you and I put our craziness to a, a sort of positive outcome. I try. <laughs> so so you're at, at 11, you get the bike. And, and obviously, it, it made a some kind of a really impact on you. And all of a sudden, you know, when do you start competing? When do you decide you actually want to, like, take it to a, a little bit of a higher level than just cruising around town? Uh, I think getting... Getting a bike was just a pinnacle point in my life. Uh, I was able to have a creative outlet, um, kind of the daredevil end of things. I've always kind of had that. And uh, I could just go out and do what I want when I wanted, you know. The wrestling thing was cool, but, you know, I had to compete on weekends. I had to go work out, you know, during the week and whatnot. This I could do when I wanted to. If I wanted to do it, great. If I didn't want to, I didn't have to. Um, I just I just fooled around on the bike for a couple of years and then started meeting other people that were actually really into it and it kind of you know at, at the time Elby's was around you know this is long before I had anything to do with it and they were holding contests and I started going to those and making more friends there and that's when it it really took off and I started traveling and uh, and competing. 
So you start working at Albies around 1995 or so. Yep. Somewhere around there. And then you start uh, actually competing in 96. So you're meeting folks, you're finding out about events, mm-hmm. and, and you decide to, to go and enter your first event. Do you remember that day, that event at all? Uh, in, in, the nine, in, the, in the mid-90s after I started working the shops when I started traveling and actually competing as a pro. And uh, hmm, I actually don't remember the first contest. I, I was I was always that guy that just missed finals. I was never I was never the the best pro, but I think what made what made it for me is the fact that I could go to a contest, be on the deck with all these people that I really respected, and they all respected me back, and that's what made it made everything. That's when I felt like I made it. You know, I don't have to win this contest. You know, I'm sitting next to Dave Mira, and he respects me. Like he knows who I am, and he respects you know that I'm here, and this is cool. And, Stuff like that. It, that's that's better than winning a contest. Yeah, and I, I I can totally understand that because when I started competing pro, I I, I felt like a little kid, mm-hmm. like up on the deck. You know, I'm standing next to like Mike V, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And we're talking about hockey. We're not even talking about skateboarding. Whoops. We're not even talking about skateboarding. We're talking about hockey. And I gotta be like, hey, Mike, what's going on, dude? And and, and when I like turn around, I'm like, holy crap, it's Mike Vallely. And I'm like, oh no, hey, hey, Mike, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, it took me a yeah, while. You gotta blow to, it off. And yeah, like hang out with them every day. It's cool. <laughs> it took me a while to get comfortable. Yeah, with that. for sure. I get it. And coming out of the Midwest, I mean, we lived through magazines and videos for a very long time. So to to be on that. That same stage takes a little getting used to. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you bring up Dave Mira. I mean, that's the Tony Hawk of BMX. That's Tony Hawk of BMX. Him and him and Matt Hoffman are the, you know, our household names. It's yes. crazy. Yes, and and that's rad that you got to spend some time with those guys. I mm-hmm. mean, Matt Hoffman was just here. He was just at my house like a couple weeks ago because yeah. he was in town for a, an event at Elby's. And I've never met him. I I I, I think the guy is funny, dude. I, Super cool dude. I just think he's like one of the coolest guys ever to ride a bike ever in the history of bicycles. I mean, absolutely. You take, take it back whenever bikes were invented 200 years ago. And Matt Hoffman, in my eyes, is the coolest guy to ever ride a bike. Absolutely. I mean, he he has pushed the envelope like a Tony Hawk, like a Bob Burnquist, like I mean even Danny Way in the skateboard world who have totally taken it to like this level. Matt Hoffman says, "Oh, you went 20 foot high. I think I'm gonna." try to go like 60 not 21 (laughs) like triple that i mean how how is that having that kind of a guy at your house i mean you guys probably known each other for a little bit yeah i've known matt a long time um matt matt handles all the the bmx end of the x game stuff um at one point i was one of the guys that uh one of the i was on the committee of like eight of us that would pick all the bmx riders that would go to the go to x games and that's i think how i actually really got to like really know him was through that uh, and then we've had a few events at the shop and, you know, I see my contest and a few events at the shop where I'll say, hey, you want to come hang out for, for an event? Like, yeah, yeah, dude, I'll be there. You know it. You know, uh, and he comes out, wears his LB shirt and just hangs out and everybody just loves him. He's just a cool dude. Just fun to hang out with. Super upbeat. Always telling awful jokes like he's perfect. He's perfect perfect BMX representation. Well, and I've found through the skateboard world, and it sounds like very much similar through the BMX world, you know, a lot of uh, us, our, the competitors, the guys who have taken it to that level, you know, you can take it so far. 
But after that, you know, really it's your personality. It's giving back. It's being approachable. Mm. It's being nice. It's it's enjoying and respecting and understanding your fans, if you will, or just anybody you meet on the street. The personality often overshadows the talent. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure you see it in, in skateboarding, and I see it in BMX so much. There's these incredible riders that are just jerks, like just awful people that people can't approach them or they just, you know, go on the internet and talk shit and awful people. And people don't realize that you don't become a quote unquote pro just because you're good at something. It takes way more than that. It, like you said, it's personality and being approachable. And it's like that with anybody that I guess you could say is famous. They have to be uh, a personable person. Like you have to be, otherwise you're just not good at your job. Well, and I, I've had this conversation several times over the last few weeks, and if it was talking about musicians or, or athletes or all sorts of different people, one person that stands out for me is Jamie Thomas. I got to skate with him. He's legendary. Sure. You know, I mean, uh, way cooler than I will ever be. And uh, we skated a mini ramp together. And I'm like, oh, Jamie Thomas. And I know Matt Hensley, so it was us three. And I left and just say, take it easy, fellas. Jamie Thomas came out of the building, tracked me down before I got to my car, and said, man, it was a pleasure skating with that's you, Gerald. Right. See, that's good. You that's good. just did every mm -hmm. trick I wish I could do, and I started skating handrails. Now, that uh, I was not a Jamie Thomas fan prior to that. I was a, a, a park skater. I wasn't skating big handrails. And after that, I became a Jamie Thomas fan sure. because of who he is, not what he does on Absolutely. board. There's a... Uh, I, I was traveling a lot doing, I was, I was judging due tour contests, BMX due tour, due tour contest, and I got to meet a lot of big name pros that most kids will never meet in person, and they just see them riding on TV or on videos and whatnot, and you, you learn which one of them are, which ones of them are really cool to hang out with and are actually good people, and then there's a handful of douchebags. And then, I'll, you know, I'll come back and be at a park, and I'll hear somebody drop one of their names. They're like, that guy sucks, you know. He, yeah, my friend talked to him once, and he was a jerk. And, like, you got it so wrong. He's, like, the nicest one out there. It's, like, it's the other guy that's a jerk that you guys think is super cool. He's not. You know, he's he gets pissed off if he doesn't get scored right at a contest. And it's insane how kids' perceptions can be way off just because of what they see on TV. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it, it's it's been rad for my experience to meet different, really huge names, the biggest names at that time. Uh, another one is Chad Muska. He mm. was the biggest at the time. And I stopped and said, hey, Chad, and he was doing his thing, you know, beat, you know big boom box and his big glass. It was a trade show. And I uh, know a couple of friends who grew up with him. And I said, so-and-so and so-and-so told me to say hello. And he immediately snapped out of Muska mode to just normal just guys. normal dude and right like, right dude no way you know those guys and he was uh, just so cool um and and i don't think it's a front or anything uh, people wanted to see the boombox chad muska <laughs> that's his he, persona yeah right but when he found out that i knew some of his childhood friends he was like no then way. you guys were friends that's yeah. cool that's and, cool and and it made a big impact on me and i became a muska fan after that mm -hmm. you know and and it's it's rad when you get to meet guys who are very talented but then like i said their personality overshadows that and I think you're one of those guys, man. 
Sweet. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm stoked to have you here. We're sitting here with Flip, Mark Flipowitz here at uh, the NRM Studios. And this place is crazy. You know, Mark, a lot of guys walk in here and podcasts are, are all over the map. You know, some guys are doing them from their basement. Some guys are doing them here and there. And they walk in the door and they're like, no way. Like, this is like it's pretty legit. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Am I in the right place? Uh, right, right. That's what I say all the time. People offer me water and everything. <laughs> well, I'm glad you took the time to come down here, you know, and, and, and spend an hour with me, with our audience, and to talk a little bit about your story, how you got to where you're getting to, and we're going to get right into that right now because I want to talk about Albies quite a bit. Okay. Albies has been the industry standard, as far as I know, for a long time. When it comes to bikes, if anybody I ever knew was into anything to do with competitive BMX, they went to Albies uh, uh, since the 80s. Mm -hmm. And you started there at a very young age. And uh, can we talk a little bit about that timeline? You know, you, you said you, you started at Albies, you started competing pro, traveling, judging contests. You always had the affiliation. You always kept your job at Albies throughout yeah, that. Yeah, when I was, you know, I started started going to contests younger. You know, before I even worked there, just smaller contests, nothing, nothing pro level, and uh, and then you know I have to get a job. You know, uh, late teen, early twenties. Uh, Albies was my sponsor at the time, and they needed somebody to work there, so I started working there and figuring, oh, it's better than working at a factory job or something. Um, so yeah, start started working at the shop. Uh, couple of years go by, started traveling a little more, uh, entering pro contests, and I got to a point where I was making a little bit of money as a pro and having a lot of fun traveling, but I knew I was to a point to where I had to go one way or the other. I either had to quit the, work, quit the job and actually commit my life to riding my bike, or slow down on riding a little bit and actually work in the business world. And the smart logical end of me said, all right, you know what? This is still BMX. It's still what I'm into. I can still ride my bike, but I'm going to I'm gonna choose to work full time and have stability. Um, but I think I got the best of both worlds. So, well, that's a very mature decision to make. Uh, you know, where are you at at this point? Mid-20s? Yeah, something like that. You know, but I think I have kids in my mid, in their mid twenties. Right. But when <laughs> oh you no, made, you mean in this timeline? Yeah. Sorry. When you when you made the decision. yeah 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 mid twenties. And that's a huge decision. Yeah, it was. It was. It was the job at the shop was you know decent. It paid okay, and I had insurance, and and it, they allowed me to go travel when I wanted to go to contests and whatnot. But I knew that if I didn't commit fully to the BMX riding end of it. I, I wasn't going to make it anywhere. And instead of taking the chance on that, I went the other way, and which was also a big scary chance because I'm, I'm looking at I can travel the world and get paid to ride my bike or I can just go to job every day. And that doesn't sound sweet, but in the back of my head, I knew it was the smarter decision. And, and that's huge. And I still, I still think that it was the best decision. Like I, I, I've done so much since I made that decision traveling and, and going all over and meeting people and still riding my bike, um, but I have stability. And and it led to me becoming the owner of the Albies. So, I, you know, it worked out perfect. I couldn't have planned it. Uh, it's like a childhood dream to be able to be where I am. I'm, I'm still so involved in BMX, and it's my living. It's my livelihood. Everything revolves around BMX bikes. And, and for those of you keeping score at home, make sure to write that down. Following dream 
stability, still hold, upholding my adult responsibilities, never giving up on the dream, no, not no, giving up it. on the dream, but maybe shifting the plan a little bit. Sometimes we got to shift plans, you know. And, some, and, and when I made that decision to stick with working, I wasn't necessarily thinking, you know, maybe I'll buy this place one day or maybe I'll take it over. I was focused on, you know, what will be the next step? All I know is that I'm having a good time. I'm paying my bills. I'm still riding my bike. I'll figure out the next step later. And that's how it kind of progressed to where it is today. And, you know, I've been speaking to middle schools for the last decade. And one of the funny things, and it always gets a laugh, but it's the truth. I tell kids, if you love shoelaces, be a shoelace maker. You'll be stoked the rest of your life. Sounds dumb, but it is really, really the truth. Um, If you are following your passion, crazy doors open up, crazy opportunities, different kinds of things if you are doing what you love. Absolutely. For me, being a pro skateboarder is rad. Like, like you said, you get to run around with your friends, make a little bit of money, you don't have to pay for anything, you get to go and have fun, act like a fool. And, and it's fun, it's cool, but being a pro skateboarder opened up these doors I never could have predicted when I was 25, mm-hmm. 26, 27 years old. When you made the decision to say, you know what, I'm gonna uh, work a job so I have money and I can pay my bills and you know, get my riding in when I can. I'm sure at that time, like you said, you didn't say, uh, one day I'm going to own this place. You might have thought, you know, maybe I'll be manager or something, you know, make a decent clip of money. You you can't, uh, oftentimes, you cannot lay out a plan for the next 30 years. You can lay out a plan for the next six months. You can lay one out, but it's probably going to change 10 times. Yes. Like, that's just how life is. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you can set your focus on something and hopefully go in that direction. But there's going to be tons of speed bumps. Always, always, always. Always. And be ready for them. And, and embrace them. And, and be open to shifting that plan. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and, but I, I love that, you know, bike at 11, pro contest, still working at the shop, and now you freaking own it. You own the shop. I've been going to Albies for 20 years, and obviously I've seen you many times in the shop. Uh, I bring it up a lot. Anybody I know who still rides a bike, Joe Hughes. I brought his name up earlier. Yeah, Joe he, comes Hughes, in, he still comes in all the time. He is a lifelong friend of mine. Mm-hmm. We've been friends since we were 14 years Crazy. old. He is an amazing person, and he still brings your name up when anything. He's like, this new Haro Master just came out. I got to give Flip a call. This new blah, blah, blah came out. I got to give Flip a call or stop by. I saw Flip the other day. He still, you are the go-to guy for anybody, I'm going to say, probably in the whole Midwest. Um, Albies has grown over the, over the decades. It really has. I want to talk about the move a little bit because I really didn't know you guys moved off a mound mm. until probably a few months ago when I was driving down the street. I'm like, no way, there's Albies. <laughs> and it looks beautiful. Like, what what? Uh, prompted you to make that move? We, we've we always, that, that location at 13 and Mound was good for the time, but it was an awful location. And our business has always been probably 80% mail order and 20% retail. Uh, I mean, we ship stuff all over the world every day. Um, so we didn't really care that much about the retail end of it. And the rent there was really cheap, so we stayed there and everybody knew where we were. It was close to freeways, it was easy to get to. Um, the the plaza a couple of years ago got bought out by another owner, and this dude was awful, 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 awful. Um, so we decided we were going to start looking for a place of our own, a build, you know, a freestanding building instead of being in that shopping center. And uh, so we started shopping around, found a place, and the building we have is perfect. It's a, uh, uh, I think we're about 
10,000 square feet. And it's, uh, you know, which we have about 3,000 square feet of it set up for retail. And then the, the rest of the space is all done for mail order. Um, and yeah, we're, we're doing really well. The, the retail has definitely picked up being in that area. It's a much nicer area. Um, the store is really nice. My partner, John, the other owner at the shop, he, uh, he's really into building and construction and stuff like that. So he made the store like, like I walk in, I can't believe this is our place. Like this place is amazing. Like I want to hang out here every day. I go in and I'm happy just to be in that building just cause it looks so cool. And it's all our everything BMX and everybody's stoked and happy to be in BMX and it's our jobs and it, it's awesome. And well, when I drove by, I had the exact same reaction because I've been, again, going to the, the shop over on Mount forever, an old rundown, basically strip mall mm-hmm. in, in, that was about, I don't know, 20 minutes from Detroit or so. Uh, where they're at now in Troy is maybe a half hour. It's not that much yeah, further. Yeah, we're, we're only two miles farther north and a couple miles uh, farther west. So it's really, and if you, if you were coming from Detroit, it's straight up Livernois slash Main Street. We're right at 15 in Maine or Maple in Maine. And uh, the, 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 yeah, you got to come check the place out. Let me show you around the upstairs. There's a whole upstairs full of stuff. It's a, it's a really cool place. I'll definitely try to stop in in the very near future. But from the street, again, it looks beautiful compared to the old storefront. I mean, it's like going from, you know, some little like 10,000, not even 10,000, 1,000 square foot closet to going to the Mac Daddy that, place over that, here. It's that beautiful. old plaza we were in is all super run down. And we were like. There's probably 25 storefronts in there, and only three of them ha- even had tenants, and we were one of them. And it just looked like a war zone. Like, parking lot was—you be- couldn't even drive through the parking lot without getting a flat in your car. Like, it was bad. It was—it was awful place. But it was home for 26 years, so wouldn't change it. Well, it got you to where you're at today. Yep. And then that crappy landlord, one of those speed bumps, just put us to where we are now. Everything happens for a reason. And and you guys, you brought up mail order, and that's the majority of your square footage. Mm-hmm. You guys, I believe, were ahead of the curve when it, like, you were doing mail order before the oh, whole internet. Yeah, there was before like anything. way before the internet. Yep. Yeah, and uh, when I was talking to Joe, mailing in cash and envelopes, like you're saying, right. we used to get <laughs> cash and envelopes all the time. Yeah, and so Albies was way ahead of the curve, and you've seen that evolution that transition mm. how has the internet uh helped the business hurt the business how does that work it's definitely made it easier to make sales and whatnot but it's also definitely increased competition you know things like ebay and amazon and all those places where uh pretty much anybody can sell bmx products on ebay you know it's just basically a giant flea market um However, I think we do really well because we do have some items that you can't find in places like that. Plus, we're, you know, people know us. People in, people in the industry know us. We've been around forever. You know, you search the web, you see people talking about us. You see our guys on TV, on X Games, wearing T-shirts and stuff like that. Um, even even guys that don't ride for us, you know, pros, if you say, hey, where, you know, where should I get that? They'll send you our way. Uh, if you see somebody on TV that's r- riding a bike that wasn't given to them, it probably came from us. Yeah, I get stoked. Like when I'm, I don't watch a ton of the X Games, uh, but when I do and I see an LB sticker on a helmet or something, I'm like, yeah, it's like a little piece it, of home. It, dude, it's crazy. When I turn on the TV and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. Hey, he's got an LB sticker on. Hey, he's wearing an LB shirt. Like that's cool. Like, it, 
feels good. Yes, it does. For me, too, mm -hmm. you know, to see that, to see uh, local businesses, and I'll still say you guys are a local business, yeah, to be on the international mm -hmm. stage. That's such a rad thing and, and a, a huge sense of accomplishment. It makes me proud. Yeah. Definitely makes me proud. I love, I love it when I see that type of stuff and when I hear people say good things about us. Yes, definitely, definitely. And and so, a, a, again, we're going to talk about the timeline of Albies a little bit, because in 06, you bought out the old partner? You yeah, really the, stepped up your game. When uh, when I came on, there was a, a couple crazy old dudes actually started the business. And um, they were the, the one passed away after a couple of years while I was there. But the other one, he's still kicking it somewhere. And uh, he sold the business to three of us that worked there for many years. Uh, myself, uh, John, and a fellow named Todd. And uh, after a couple of years, um, John and I bought Todd out, and John and I have been running it ever since, since 2011-ish. Right. 2011 -ish. right. Uh, we, had, we, had a little, we had a couple of rough years there for a minute, right around when Todd left. And uh, But now it's stronger than ever. Like, I, I'm excited about where it's going. Huge shift in clientele moving over to Troy. Um, it, it, retail wise, yeah, absolutely. Um, mailer, I'm not quite sure what it is. I uh, guess we're just we just do what we do well, so I think people see that and just come to us and. Sales are through the roof. And there's something to be said for longevity. There really is oh, something, yeah. to be, something to be said for a company who maybe started a year ago to a company, again, I, I like the term industry standard, to to a, a, a group of guys who have been there, mm -hmm. a, a, a shop that has been there, who understands whatever word comes out of your mouth, they understand it, they can relate to it, and they know exactly what you're talking about. And I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 60 years old. If people call Albies, there's something they will relate to, and you can find exactly what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I think the longevity thing you, you, you mentioned there is I recently it's been a thing where people will be coming in uh, that you know are in their 40s or even 50s that will come in and say, Hey, I bought my bike from you when I was 13. I'm here to buy my 15-year-old kid a bike. Like, and they, you know, they still recognize. Yeah, hey, you're still here. Yeah, I'm still here, it, and that's awesome. You're like generations of people coming in now, and the sport of BMX is still pretty young, but it's all those dudes that were riding in the '70s and '80s are now all parents and grandparents, and they're bringing their kids in too. And it's our window has just opened. It went from such a small uh, window of people to now it's just it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's really cool. And that's so rad. We're sitting here with Mark Flipowitz, and, and I'll tell you what, when you find your passion, especially at a young age like he did at 11, and you can make that your life and make it uh, work and, and, and make it finance your life it, it, enough to where you have a wife and kids and you're still doing what you love to do, I can't think of a better definition of success than that. No, no. I'm I'm pretty happy with life. I can't complain. Uh, my wife's super supportive. Uh, I was doing a lot of traveling when I was judging due tour stuff and my kids were really young and she was always super supportive about me being gone for like weeks at a time and being in other countries. She's awesome. My kids are awesome. I sound like a broken record, but I'm really happy. Like, can everybody see me smiling? Like, they can. This is this is life. Life is rad. 
Yeah, and that's that's a, a huge accomplishment because a lot of guys can't say that. You know, I had a gentleman on on uh, his name's Kurt A. David, and his what got him started on on the the sort of journey path, whatever you want to call it, that he's on. He is a sports psychologist to help retired pro athletes not ruin their life. Dude, that, that's like a they need. We need more of those dudes. Eighty percent. Oh my gosh, I have you know lots of friends that are you know, retiring from BMX as pros now. And I can see that a lot of them are a mess, like mentally just messed up. And uh, they they go from leading these rock star lifestyles and traveling all over the world and making all this money. And then all of a sudden they're just completely normal people not making any money. And if they didn't save up, they have issues. It, that's a that's a big situation right now. In all sports, I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, not just BMX. Yeah, I guess any, or even, yeah, I mean, I guess as movie stars and stuff like that, you can work forever as long as you need a gig. But yeah, sports, you're right. You have an expiration date, and once that expiration date comes up, life changes drastically. You sound just like Kurt David, who was on here. He said exactly those same things, and the numbers are staggering. From, uh, I mean, we're talking 75, 80 percent of retired pro athletes broke, divorced. 75, 80%. That's crazy. And he saw that. But I see it. I can totally see that. Yeah. I can totally see yeah. that. So when you can uh, meld your passion, that, that thrive, like I thrive on adrenaline. That's why I do stuff like this. That's why I'm a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm an author. I still get to skate. But when I get out of this studio today, I will not wind down till about 11 o'clock tonight. I get fired up when I'm in here. And so I knew that at... at 10, 15 years ago. I need to find something because I'm not going to be able to skate at this level that, forever. That's where, that's how I ended up staying at my job. Like, yes. That's exactly it. Yes. And so you still get to stay involved, mm-hmm. still be get to be part of BMX, still, if you want to, ride a demo mm-hmm. here and there, yep. but when you want to, on your time. Your so. time and and that's, that's a rad, rad trajectory of life, mm-hmm. really. I mean, to be able to stay involved with it, it's like, uh, you know, I look at NHL a lot because I grew up as a goaltender. And to see these guys who are retired Red Wings who stay with the team as a coach, yeah, as, yeah. A, as this, as that, because they don't know anything else. Nope. And, nope. and as professional extreme sports athletes, it's very similar. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's if these guys can find jobs after they retire, you know. There's not a huge amount of money in BMX. It seems like skateboarding definitely has a little bit more money in it. But a lot of the BMX dudes, they try to find something else to do once they retire. You know, team manager, or, you know, hopefully they're good at video stuff and they can film for teams and whatnot. Um, but if they don't, it's like, I know of like guys that have several X Games medals, do cups, and they're driving Uber. Like, overnight. Just, you know, all the sponsors ended and, you know, they're not doing so well in contests anymore and Got to drive Uber to make ends meet. Wow. I, I'm, I'm saying wow, but I'm not really surprised. Right. You know, if you don't start laying down some of the groundwork before you get to that point as a professional skateboarder, professional anything, mm-hmm. if you don't have something else in place, I don't, I don't care if you're writing books, if you're doing a blog, if you're whatever you're doing, you know, if you don't have that in place, when it's taken away, what do you do? With you, uh, again, I say I said that that decision was such a mature decision, 
in your mid-20s or whenever it was made to say, you know what, I can go and go as hard as I can and maybe make an okay living for however. <laughs> Five years. Be, yeah. well, it might be six months. <laughs> you don't All know. Right. We play a contact sport. Life is a contact sport. So there is no guarantees. No. There is no guarantees. And we risk our lives day in, day out at that time. You know, if it's trying to jump down a handrail that's 55 steps long, or if it's skating an empty pool or riding a, a vert ramp, you're at risk that whole time. You're not guaranteed anything. No, you can get you can get wrecked in a second. I, I went to <laughs> Transition Skate Park. Mm-hmm. I was there two nights ago. I don't know if you heard, they're closing down the one side. I did hear that. Yeah, so I we were there for... I was there with a couple of the original guys, Sachin and, and a few of the other guys that were literally there the day they opened, and we figured we'd have one more jam. And uh, the first five minutes I was there, I fell so hard. I saw stars. It was probably the first time I've seen stars in a decade. And I'm like, man, I can't believe them. After all this all, all this time, I'm going to get hurt now? And, yeah. Jumped up. I was okay. I brushed it off. But but man, it was like, that could have been really bad. Just out of nowhere. And it wasn't, wasn't I wasn't doing anything scary or hard. Just put my foot in the wrong place, went straight over the bars. Punk. Yeah, it can happen anytime. You know, uh, a year ago today, uh, as we're recording this show, I broke my leg, and it was the first cast I've ever had in my life. Really? Ever. One year ago today, and uh, I mean, I, I feel like it was the biggest blessing of my life, really. I, I took the summer to lay out some other plans. It really worked out great for me personally, but you just never know. I was doing a trick I've done 10,000 mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, my ankle feels funny. I go to the doctor next day. They're like, hey, your fibula's in half, and there's a corner of your tibia floating around, too. We need to get you in surgery. It shows how tough you are, though, and your bottom of your leg's hanging off, and you're like, yeah, I should probably go to the doctor. Uh, right, you know, <laughs> but you never know. And so for you to decide, I'm going to go to work and, uh, and have a little bit of stability, as you said, and now to be where you're at today, that is so rad. For you, the viewer, you know, uh, that is something, again, you can't plan that, but that decision, that decision to say, you know what, I can still do my dream, and but still have this stability, that's huge. And I'm a risk taker. I'm a risk taker. Mark's a risk taker. I'm a big, I'm a big gambler. Yeah, but... You make that decision, and it has paid dividends. Yes. Dividends for my brother sitting across the table from me. That is such a huge, huge lesson I'd love for you to take away, that you can chase your dream, whatever it is. If you love backgammon, if you love knitting sweaters, if you love making shoelaces, I don't care what your dream is. You can always do that, but it's also nice to be able to pay your bills and drive an okay car and get to where you want to get to and and, and still have that dream going, you know? I make no bones about it. I, I've worked. I worked a full-time job most of my pro skateboarding career, and uh, scheduled my my uh, vacation time around weekend contests. You brought up a very good point that on the weekend it's very difficult to go travel to Tampa, sign autographs, and be a rock star, and come back Monday morning at <laughs> o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it, it's crazy, and that's how a lot of BMX is right now. Even even some of today's current pros. That's they're do. That's what they're doing. And it, it, you do what you have to do, you know. You don't, uh, a lot of guys do risk it all. I'm glad I didn't just, I did a few times, but I was able to salvage it mm-hmm. and come back to it. Um, uh, your story is is phenomenal. 
and, and make sure if you're just tuning in, make sure to rewind because where Mark came from to where he, he is at now, I mean, you could write a book about that. Really, you could. You make me sound so awesome. But you are. You really are. <laughs> and I think uh, what you just said even makes you even awesomer because we talked about how people's personality oftentimes overshadow their talent. And, and the modesty is huge. That's why I believe you are as successful as you are in life because you can put your own ego on the shelf and go out and have fun and realize, you know what, especially in, in retail where you're at today, right. if you had a giant ego and people walked in the door, it'd turn them off. Right. But to be of yeah, service absolutely. to others is huge and that's what makes you even cooler man i appreciate that well you are a cool guy and i do appreciate you taking an hour to come and visit with us here on the drop-in on nrmstreamcast.com it is a pleasure of mine to be able to have this show and i say to my viewers all the time i don't take their time for granted i want to fill it up with good content i they take an hour of their day to sit down and visit with you and i and so i want them to walk away going you know what i can't f and take over the world. I can pursue my dream. I can make it happen. Look how Mark did it. Look how Gerald did it. Look how whoever, when they see examples of people being successful, chasing their passion, hopefully it triggers them to get off their couch and not just dream it, but to take action and make it happen. And you have done that. And I, I commend you for that. I, um, you know, reading your bio, I really didn't know that you bought out Todd. I didn't know that till very recently. And again, I didn't know you guys moved. I haven't been to Albies in quite a long time. And you're really, really doing great things. Uh, and you said the wife, the kids, everybody, you know, you had that support. And I think that's very important, too. Very important. Agreed. Now, your kids ride bikes? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I think they'd probably ride bikes more if I rode bikes more. Uh, but with working so much, sometimes it's pretty hard to be able to get off of work and run to the house and grab them and get them to the park. And, you know, uh, my oldest has, he, he, a couple of years ago, he was, he was actually riding pretty hard and going to the parks. He was filming himself and making little YouTube videos. I was like, Hey, this might take off. Um, but I, you know, and I nurture as much as I can, but he, he hasn't been riding a ton unless I like say, Hey, you want to go? So I'd love to see him just, you know, I come home one day and I'm like, Hey, where's case? Oh, he's out riding. Oh, that'd be, I'd love to hear that, but I'm not going to push it. I'm not that guy. You live close to the shop? Uh, I live in Utica. Okay, so not too 20 bad. minutes. It's not too bad. Yeah, before we end, we got a few minutes here. Let me check the watch. We got a few minutes here. Have you rode the new Sterling Heights Park? Oh, yeah. What do you think of that? I think it's really fun. Um, little backstory behind that. My sister's boyfriend works for the city of Sterling Heights, and long before it was happening, he got a hold of me and said, hey, they're talking about doing this. Um, and I said, you know, first thing, are they going to let bikes in? Because that's uh, not always a thing. And he says, I'm not sure yet. And he's one of the video guys for the city. So he got came up with the idea of taking me out and filming me a bunch and took it to the city planner people and said, hey, you know, this is BMX guys and they're helping to try push the park. And they didn't once they pushed it and put that video out, they couldn't back out of it. So now bikes are allowed. <laughs> now think about that. I, I give him all the credit for getting keep getting bikes into that park. In nineteen ninety whatever. Could you ever imagine somebody, somebody from the city coming to ask you, right. hey, can I go out and film you? Because we're thinking about putting a park in the they city. They had me riding 
at the Sterling Heights Police Station. They're filming <laughs> me like grinding ledges at the Sterling Heights Police Station, and I'm like, "This is all right?" Like, "Yeah, we cleared it. It's cool. Awesome." Uh, you know, we can't make this up. No. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> like, you're okay with me riding here? And they're like, yep. And that park, a little bit north of Detroit, built by Evergreen Skate Parks, and they did a pretty nice job. It's crazy. It looks like the surface of the it moon. It looks like the surface of the moon. It really does. And it's two miles from my house. Yeah, very flowy, very fun, and I'm glad they let bikes in. You know, I'm, I'm the president of Drop-In Downriver, the nonprofit working in Wyandotte. One of the stipulations when we got into it was that BMX would be allowed. Ah, oh, we and appreciate we, that. We were one of the very first. From everybody in BMX, thank we you. We were one of the very first ever from the Tony Hawk Foundation to have that in our contract that BMX is allowed. Awesome. And it's important to me because I have been hand in hand with BMX. Yeah, guys my like you said, life. you grew up with people like Joe Hughes and John Rodriguez, and yeah, I'm sure you were riding John's backyard ramp. Oh, yep. the ramp was fun, and 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 it's always been we're the same. You know, I don't see any difference, and and so it was very important to me. But um, so if folks want to get to Albies, if they want to contact you, I know you're on Instagram. You mm-hmm. you stay active there. Yep. Uh, Tell our, our awesome viewers where they can get a hold of you and get to Albies. I uh, find me on social media at Mark Flip. Uh, at, that's on Instagram. Uh, you can always check me for Mark Flip on Facebook. Easy to find. Albies Instagram is just Albies BMX. You can always just www.albies.com, the old school way. And can they order straight through the website? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's most of our business is through the website. Or you're more than welcome to stop by the shop. Uh, we're always down to hang out, have a good time. If we think you're old enough, we might offer you a beer. <laughs> well, once again, Flip, thank you so much for taking an hour to come on and visit with us here on the drop-in, and I, I really appreciate it, brother man. Of course, glad you, glad to be here, stoked. Yeah, and this is this is cool, cool of you to do. Cool, thank you very much. So, man, Mark Flipowitz here on the drop-in, here at the NRM Studios on the drop-in. You don't get this anywhere else on the planet. Probably the only interview he's going to do this year. So make sure you tell everybody. Flip was on the drop-in. Because dude has been all over the world, all over your TV set for the last 20 years. And I get the pleasure of having him in studio with us today. So, man, what a great interview. And a lot of little nuggets you can take away from that mature decision to stay and work at Albies to now own the freaking place. That is huge. That is what this show is about. To embody following your passion and really making it work for you. That way you never work. You heard Flip say it. He loves life. He is a half full kind of guy. And that's what this show is about. So make sure to take notes, take it away, share it with everybody, and come back next week for more motivation to get you off your damn couch. I am Gerald Valley, and this is The Drop-In.